We're going to start something um, this year that I'm, I'm excited about, and it's something we've felt just from the Lord. Um, before we preach, we want to read the whole chapter of the, the scripture that will be the, the base point of our, our sermons. We want to read the whole chapter, but we'll get someone else each time to actually read it. And so I've asked Rich uh, to do it today. And, and why we're doing this is because there's something about the word before the sermon. You get what I'm saying? There's something about just sitting under the public reading of Scripture. Whether the person can read well or not, thank you that Rich can. But it doesn't even matter, you know, how, how it comes out. Good luck, Rich, yeah. Um, it's not even about how it comes out. It's just about there's something in the Word that when we release it, it brings healing. It washes us. There's a washing of the Word. And not only that, it's going to begin to give us context as I begin to teach and share. So, Rich, do you want to come up? And uh, I want to ask you, as Rich reads this chapter... Just close your eyes, posture your heart uh, before the Lord, and just say, I'm ready for your word, Lord. I, I want to be touched and changed. Okay. Thanks, Con. Okay. Um, today's scripture is 2 Corinthians 4. Um, but before I start, I think we just take a moment to posture our hearts. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you that as we read your word together, we're free of distraction, that we're focused on you, Lord. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're in this room together with us today. Thank you, Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts, so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like the fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death, because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach, because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving 
and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, thank you, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We open our hearts. We love you. Transform us. Make us like you, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Courts. <clears throat> Is the recording okay? We're good. Awesome. Do you mind if I unclip this then? Okay. As a church and as a community, you're going to hear us say this a lot, but we, we want the presence of the Lord more than we want anything. It's like oxygen. Um, and uh, we have this prayer that we pray as an eldership team, as a leadership team, uh, that the Lord would make us a people of his presence. And I think there's a lot of language right now like that. And we talk like that a lot. And, you know, intimacy, presence, um, it's on, you know, most Christians' lips. And, and that's a good thing. I celebrate that. But my heart is, Lord, let it never become familiar to us that we... Uh, are removed or, or move ourselves away from the reality and the substance of the, the person of God. Uh, and uh, my heart this morning is, is maybe just to encourage us for 2023 to stir our hearts um, to say we can have vision for our lives. We can have God's vision for our lives. We can get excited and have that word for the year and, and all of that. But if we don't have him, if we're not walking with him, if we don't know how to walk with Jesus every day, we lose the substance that sustains us through trials and tribulations, through the difficult times. And maybe you started the year out in one of those and you feel like, wow, you know, sometimes it's like the worst thing to start the year in difficulty. But there's something about Christians, there's something about the Christian life that's just so different to the world. It's so abstract to society. And it's that we find our well-being in something other than situation, circumstance, we find it in the presence of Jesus, in the person of God. And so uh, we, we want to dive into that today. And if you don't know, if you're new and you don't know who I am, my name is Connor. My wife is with the kids. Um, I, we serve on the eldership team here, and it's a joy to be a part of leading this community. Um, and our prayer is that you could be at home here, that you can relax, that you can receive truth that might challenge you, that might bring conviction. Those are all good things, amen? I always say offense is just undealt with conviction right? So it's okay. Sometimes the first response is offense to things, and that's okay. You just got to then go and process that with Jesus and let him bring conviction. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that everything I say is right. I want you to know that. I want you to take everything I say, test it with the scriptures, dive into the word. My, my heart is more so to read the word together and provoke you to seek Jesus. And when you seek Jesus, he'll bring transformation to your life. And I, I want to say this from the outset, a sermon will never change your life. But it's an invitation for you to say yes to the word of the Lord that in the secret place with him will bring life. It'll bring healing. It'll wash you and it'll bring the revelation of Jesus, which is what our lives are meant to be built on. Um, and so I want to provoke you and say, 
everything that I, I share today, go, go take it and read it. Go for yourself. Chew on it. Let the Lord touch and change your life. Is that okay? Amen. Amen. So you actually have an active part to play in this. I don't mind you listening and going, okay, I want to see that in Scripture. I love that. Um, as long as it's not criticism and it's actually uh, a joy to dive into the Word together. Amen. So I want to talk about our occupation is the face of God. And uh, we've, that's kind of our, our sentence that we felt for the year. And like I said in the beginning, it kind of sounds a little mystical. It's like, whoa, okay, you know, big words, occupation. Maybe it's just a big word for me. Um, but, uh, but what I mean by that is to be occupied and, and busy with His face. Because we're pretty busy with a lot of things, right? I don't know what it's like for you, but I, from, from what I've seen in my own life and then also just talking to people in the church, life is pretty busy. And uh, most people just came back from holiday and they went straight back into that. And so my heart is, I'm saying, Jesus, teach us as a people to be occupied and busy with your face. Because at the end of the day, we are called to be fully given to the dream of God. Amen. The dream of God is the Great Commission. that We're to make disciples of all nations. We're to see the gospel spread across the earth. It's why we go. It's why we go to unreached people groups. It's why we want to be a part of reaching as many people as possible. God has a dream, and the local church is the expression of that dream. And so we need to see communities, spiritual families planted and, and, and built all over the world because that's God's way of discipling people. But we can get so wrapped up in the work. We can get so wrapped up in the dream of God, which we're meant to be fully given to, and yet find ourselves dry, tired, and without the substance of God in our everyday life. In other words, you can give Jesus your yes to His great commission, give Jesus your yes to the dream of God, and yet miss saying yes to His face today. And what's going to sustain us as the people of God for the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, however many years, is learning how to live occupied by the face of Jesus today and tomorrow and the day after that. It's interesting that when Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him first deny himself, pick up his cross daily and follow me. There is a daily reality that sometimes we lose as Christians, that we, we get wrapped up in the big picture, and it's beautiful because I'm a big picture guy, right? I get excited about the big picture. But we can get so wrapped up in that and miss the today of the gospel. When was the last time you preached the gospel to yourself? I think we need to build a rhythm of life, and later on in the year we'll talk about what that looks like, a, a rhythm of prayer, a rhythm of intimacy, a rhythm of encounter. But we need to create a rhythm in our lives where we are continually preaching the gospel to our own spirit man. That's what keeps us looking at Jesus and not looking at ourselves. Amen? And so we just read out of 2 Corinthians 4, and I want to just uh, pull a couple verses out of that. I'm going to read from verse 5 uh, to 12, and I'll read out of the Amplified. <clears throat> It says this, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves merely as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory and majesty of God, clearly revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you caught that one. The one who shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of His glory and majesty. In other words, he shone in our hearts the knowledge, the revelation of the glory and majesty of God that's clearly revealed in who? The face of Jesus Christ. It's the face of Jesus Christ that reveals the Father to us. It's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But what were they looking at? His face. I think there's people in this room that need to see the fiery eyes of Jesus again. And I speak to my own heart and soul. 
There's people in this room that might need to touch his wounds again. You know, we give uh, Thomas a hard time. We call him Doubting Thomas. It's actually not in the Bible, Doubting Thomas. But uh, somewhere in history, we, we added this label to Thomas like he was a doubter, you know. But the reality is he, w- he was the first disciple to touch the wounds of Jesus. He was the first one to put his finger inside the holes, feel his side. If I could be cheeky and say he was the first one to be in Christ. <laughs> there's nothing wrong. Jesus is, there's nothing wrong with needing to touch him. Jesus loves that. See, what we do is we go like, oh, well, I, I just don't seem to have the faith of these other guys who don't need to touch him. They just believe. They're just following. But Jesus is okay with you needing to touch him. It's why he still has the wounds, even though he's, re- he's living in his resurrected body. Why did he keep the wounds? He's saying, I don't mind you touching me. Sometimes you need a reminder to touch my wounds and remember what I did for you. So if, you, if you're in a place right now in your life where you're like, man, I, I know the gospel, I've heard the message of the gospel, and I love Jesus, but I just feel like I need a fresh experience, a fresh encounter with what he's done for me, I want you to know that the gospel is not just a message. He's a man who's carrying wounds to demonstrate to you the price he actually paid for you to walk with him. Are you with me? It says, but we have this precious treasure, the good news of salvation, in unworthy earthen vessels of human frailty. So that the grandeur and surpassing greatness of the power of God will be shown to be from God, His sufficiency, and not from ourselves. We are pressured in every way, hedged in but not crushed, perplexed, sometimes unsure of finding a way out, but not driven to despair. Hunted down and persecuted, but not deserted to stand alone. Struck down, but never destroyed. Always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the resurrection life of Jesus also may be shown in our body. For we who live are constantly experiencing the threat of being handed over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the resurrection life of Jesus also may be evidenced in our mortal body. So physical death is actively at work in us. But spiritual life is actively at work in you. Isn't it profound that Paul can say these things? And what he's saying is, you know, we're in difficult times, difficult situations. He was experiencing persecution. There's so many things that they were experiencing in the Word that, you know, we think we have a hard time now. And I'm like, we haven't got to the being persecuted and stoned and beaten and imprisoned part yet. So let's be grateful for that. But they were experiencing these things. And he was saying, we don't preach ourselves. We're, we're, we're weak and frail in and of ourselves. We don't, we don't have a message that can edify ourselves. We have something, and it's Christ. And it's, He's the only one that can bring hope. He's the only one that can bring life. He's the one who has the holes in His hands. We don't. And so He's saying, we preach Christ. And what we do is we walk around carrying the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the life of Jesus can be expressed through us. We're dying to our own ability. We're, we're, we're choosing to be crucified with Him by faith so that the resurrection life of Jesus would be known through us also by faith. There's this life that Paul's inviting people into. He's saying, you don't have to have this all together. You don't have to have this figured out. You don't even have to be okay with situation and circumstance. You just need to carry the death of Jesus where you're crucified with Him so that in the midst of all the stuff, the resurrection life of Christ can be made known. Do you hear me? The sustaining force of walking with Christ is not your yes to His work. It's your yes to His face. I'll say that again. The sustaining force of the Christian life is not your yes to His work. It's your yes to His face. When you learn to behold and you learn to see Him for who He is and to receive, because you see, you need to see Him to know what you're receiving. So when we do that and we receive the finished work of Jesus, the work follows. See, lovers will always do more than workers. 
We can be workers for Jesus and miss the deep intimacy that he's invited us into. And you see, one day the work's going to finish, but the intimacy never does. You get me? He's going to actually fulfill the Great Commission. He promised it. So we're a part of something that we know is going to be accomplished, but he's inviting us to something that is not about a destination. It's something far more than that. It's eternal life to know him and be known by him. We were born to see him. See, in a, in a world that's so material, we think because I cannot see him physically with these two eyes that I cannot see. But we were born to see. We were born to see him. We were born to experience him. You were born to touch him. We're learning how to do that again as a family. Amen? Are you guys okay? So how do we live occupied? How do we live day by day occupied by his face? Well, I've been leaning into this, and, and I'm going to speak even from my own heart and journey with the Lord, learning how do I stay occupied by your face? How do I keep coming to that place of staying beholding and, and, and emphasizing who you are and not getting stuck in my own weakness or frailty, right? And I believe the way of life or how we stay occupied in him is this beautiful word that's probably going to make us all feel uncomfortable. It's called repentance. And I, I'm, I'm so moved by this because I'm realizing more and more and listening to different people teaching on this. We have this interesting perspective around the word repentance. We know we need it and we know it's the right thing. But it's quite uncomfortable. And the reason it's uncomfortable in the church is because we have a, a, an idea and a perspective of repentance that's sin-orientated or s centralized around sin. Because if I say repentance, the first thing that jumps in your head is what do I need to repent from? Right? And so I, I began to just study this, and um, I'm, I'm going to just make some statements, and I'm going to unpack them. Repentance is a grace gift. It's an avenue of grace. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain this in a second. Repentance is not a work to do. It's a gift to receive. I hope I'm going to say these statements to provoke you, and then I'm going to unpack them, because what I want to do is offend your mind a little bit, because that's the only way to kick out religious spirits, right? Because all of us have that. We've, we've been raised, some of us have been homeschooled in the wrong home, <laughs> right? And so now we come home to our true home in Jesus, and there's some stuff that we learned along the way that he's undoing. He's taking that stuff out, because you've got to understand, maybe let me go here first. Jesus comes on the earth, he lives 30 years, becomes the, the perfect sacrifice, doesn't do a single thing, and then he turns 30, he goes, he gets baptized, and he begins to live out the prototype of what we're going to become. And for three years, he walks it out. And when he starts to preach, this is his message. The first thing he begins to preach is this, repent for what? The kingdom of God is here. I don't know if, if this is, again, layers of, of things that we've believed for so long. But here's what jumped out at me. He didn't say, repent, for now is the time of judgment and it's time to get jacked together. Repent, the judge is here and you need to get right. Isn't it interesting that the word repent is tied to the kingdom of God? It's arrived. It's here now. So when I read this, I go, okay, hold on. I need to make sure that my understanding and perspective of repentance is a Christ one. Because his perspective, he didn't seem to come in and go, I'm here to make sure we get your act together because I'm taking a bride home. He said, repent, because the, the rule, the reign, the dominion of God, it's here now. 
In Romans 14, it says this, the kingdom of God is what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So let me word it like this. Repent, because righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is here now. Doesn't that change it? It makes you go, okay, hold on. What did you mean when you said repent? I'm going to give you the definitions. So in, in the Hebrew and Aramaic, uh, in the Old Covenant, how many of you know, you understand, there's an Old Covenant and a New Covenant? And so in the Old Covenant, uh, we were given the law, and the law was always given to us. We know this. If you haven't heard this, go back and listen to our teachings from last year. The law was not given to us for us to uh, abide by or fulfill. We couldn't do it. Amen? Amen? I don't have to go back to that. Please. The law was there to show you you're never going to meet the standard and you need Jesus. So in the old covenant, they couldn't get free from the stain of guilt. All they could do was cover their sin for another year until the next sacrifice needed to be made. And in that process, the reason why God allowed man to go through that journey is because he was teaching us about covenant. He was teaching us that we need a new covenant. We need a savior that changes the way we do things who will no longer just cover our sin. He will actually become the perfect substitute and sacrifice so that we can have an exchange and come into him. Right? So in the Old Testament, there's two words, uh, Hebrew words for repentance. I might butcher them in terms of how you say them, but teshuva and nacham, nacham, nachem, nacham. Something like that. That one. I hope it's something like that. Um, and let me, let me tell you what they mean. This is really profound. Because from the... See, God's not schizophrenic. Can we just... Let's we settle that one. Like he, there's not the Old Testament God who's like a butcher. And then there's the New Testament God who's this kind, loving dad. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we relate to Him according to what? Covenant. So under the Old Covenant, we had to learn... That, okay, we're never going to meet this standard. We're making sacrifices and we have a hope for a Messiah who will come and deliver us of this covenant and bring in the new. It's why in the Old Testament the prophets were dreaming and longing to live in the days we live in. Yet we live so casual. We live like it's so light and just, the new covenant, so great. Happy go, you know. No, the reality is it's powerful. They were longing to see the days we live in. So these words, teshuva and nacham, nachem, nacham. Teshuva means this, to turn back to God. It means to return to a starting place or to pick up where you left off. Interesting. It also means this, to return to a previous point of innocence or purity. And it means, or it emphasizes, a heart change that will produce behavioral change. This is not me, I don't make this up. This is from the Jewish explanation of these words. Teshuva. Then Nacham means this. It literally means taking a deep breath or a sigh. And it was used to describe the feeling of regret or compassion in response to your own mistake or the offense of another. It's called the feeling of guilt. And these were the two words. And you see there was these moments where there's this, that feeling. I mean, when you've messed up, if you've made a mistake and you know you've made a mistake, have you ever done that thing where you're like, oh. it's that feeling of like, oh, I did it again, I stuffed up. It's that, it's that release of a feeling, an emotion. It's called regret. So these two words that are used interchangeably to describe these moments of repentance, one of them is pointing to a new covenant and the other one is showing us what we have when we don't. One of them is saying, 
Repentance is about returning to a starting place. It's about returning to a previous point of innocence and purity. Start to just think about New Covenant language here. This is already in the Old Covenant. Then there's the Greek word, which we see most often in the New Testament, which actually means to reconsider. It means to reconsider, to change your perspective or your will, to change the way you think. In fact, it also means this. It means new information has caused you to reconsider where you're postured or positioned. What's the new information? It's a new covenant. So there's a new covenant now that should stop you in your tracks and cause you to reconsider where you're standing right now so that you can teshuva, return to God, return to a previous point of innocence and purity that's not your own, it's found in Christ. Are you starting to see what I'm saying? Repentance in the new covenant simply means to return to the finished work of the cross. That's what it means. I wish it was more profound and got you like a little bit more, wow. But that's the reality. It's so simple. And yet this is the way of life. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is coming. He's saying, hey, I need you to return to me because the kingdom's here now. You're not going to access righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit in your own strength. You've got to repent, return to God, teshuva, come back to a starting point of innocence and purity. It's called the cross. And Jesus, he's announcing this because he knows what he's coming to do. He's calling people to himself because he's about to become the starting point. When Jesus is preaching on repentance, I, I found this quite interesting. I was looking at the context of, of what was happening while he was preaching this. And there wasn't a single time I could find it where he was addressing sin. He wasn't going in and going like, I need to bring the message of repentance to you because your sin is... No, he actually was performing signs, wonders, and miracles. He was bringing dignity to women. He was removing guilt, shame, and condemnation off of an adulterous woman or off of uh, the woman at the well who had been with five different men. And uh, he, it's crazy to me that like, his message of repentance and transformation was not focused around get your act together. He was fully aware of the sin that was in front of him, yet he actually was bringing a realm of abundance to broken people. I don't know if you're hearing this. He was walking into the context of sin, bringing the abundance of heaven and saying, it's because my kingdom and my leadership is here that you need to return to me. And the byproduct of that is that your behavior changes. What we've done is we've gone after a behavioral change, addressed it because of sin. You need to stop this, stop doing that, get your act together, fix that so that you can come back to God. That was never the message of repentance that Jesus preached. What we emphasize as the message was the byproduct of the true message, which is, I've done it, return to me. Repentance is not about solving the problem of sin. Am I offending you a little bit? Not really. I work harder. <laughs> I really feel this is good. And, and, and again, um, when I studied this, every religious bone in my body started to twitch too. So it's okay if you're twitching or growling at me. Um, I want you to hear this. God is not light on sin. I've, always, I've preached this strongly. You know my heart on this. He is not light on sin. The full wrath of God was poured out on His Son. Brutally. For you to make sin 
An obstacle between you and God is to nullify what Jesus did on the cross. It is an insult to the finished work. So for us to make repentance focused around sin and a a do-better message is an insult to what Jesus actually preached, what he carried and what he came for. (laughs) Why? Because sin is no longer the problem. Your attention is. Hello? Sin, Sin is no longer the problem. Your attention is the only thing that's separating you in those moments with him because what you behold, you become. What you're looking at is what you're going to follow. How many of you know if you're on a motorbike and you, you're not looking at the road and you turn this way and look there, guess where your hands are going? What you're beholding, what you're looking at, that's where you're going. And so Jesus is saying, turn back to me. Change the way you think. Get my perspective. Reconsider where you're positioned right now. Look at me because the kingdom's here now. I want you to walk in my righteousness, my peace, my joy, and it's in the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to give him to you, but you need to be in me to carry him. You don't get to have him without being in Christ. And if you need to touch my wounds, touch my wounds so that you know who I am and what I've done. You see, repentance always produces life. If there's no life in repentance, it's not repentance, it's regret. If you're experiencing repentance, what you will feel is life. Because repentance takes the emphasis off of you and puts it back on Jesus. <laughs> Can I say this? Repentance does not start with my sin. Otherwise, Jesus would have come with a message and gone, let me address where I think you've gone wrong so that you know where your repentance journey starts. But he didn't do that. He just preached the message to the multitudes. It doesn't start with your sin. It starts with the kindness and goodness of God. I love this. Repentance is not about fixing the problem of sin. It's about your greater awareness of His nature. It's about your awareness of His grace, your awareness of His mercy, your awareness of His kindness, your awareness of who He is. And I promise you, it is impossible for you to be truly aware of who God is and want to go and be something else other than who He says you are. He's too good. See, that's what it means to say He's good. He's so good that when you believe it, you're good too. There's two types of sorrow in 2 Corinthians 7. Uh, You can read this in your own time from verse 8 to 11. It describes two types of of sorrow. Um, In fact, let's read that. Let's read that together. I'm going to... I'm going to read it out of the New King James. Um, Just the way it was worded was beautiful. Actually, yeah, no, New King James. It says this. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and now he, he addressed some pretty intense things. And so he knows that he's wounded their hearts in a sense that he brought conviction and truth. So he says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it for a while. Can you hear Paul? He's like, I don't regret it now. I did regret it when I realized it hurt your heart because it was sore for you to process. So, of course, he has a heart. He loves these people. He's like, but I actually know that it was a good thing. Okay. And he says, For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. 
For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you, might, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing or that you might suffer no loss. Interesting. He's saying this godly sorrow that you felt led you to repentance and that's a beautiful thing because you didn't lose what's been given to you in Christ. You suffered no loss. If, if we are calling repentance the emotion of regret that makes you feel less than or disconnected from Jesus, it's not repentance. If you feel disqualified because of what you're calling repentance, well, I just have to go through this journey of repentance so it disqualifies me, it's not repentance. It's regret and remorse. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? So he says this, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted or without regret. There is no regret in godly repentance. Hello. That's insane. Okay, we'll, we'll get there. But the sorrow of the world, second type of sorrow, worldly sorrow, produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourself to be clear or innocent in this matter. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> are, you, are you seeing what I'm seeing here? Paul's going like, actually, your godly sorrow that produced a repentance in you that was not tied to guilt or regret, it brought you back into a place of what? Innocence. And your innocence was revealed in the matter. Well, I'm sorry, but we did those things. And Paul's going, but your innocence is not based on you. He's going, repentance brings you back to a state, an a state of being, an identity in Him, innocent, holy, pure. And that's revealed in repentance. I know this is maybe a little deep, but I hope you're starting to see what I'm saying. Repentance is a joyful thing. It can be weeping, but it's weeping because you're returning, not weeping because you regret. My biggest concern is that we have this thing right now. We're calling it a, a movement of holiness. And, and so we preach uh, conviction of sin. And we call the multitudes to come weep at the altar. And they weep. And six months later, they're there and they weep again. And six months later, they're there and they weep again. And we have the same cycle and the same crowds. And I've watched it over the last couple of years. The same people running to the altar every couple of weeks, every couple of months. Weeping and weeping and weeping because their hearts are broken with regret, guilt, and shame. You see, shame makes personal your sin. It takes your sin and goes, this is who you are. It takes your mistake. Shame makes it you. And Jesus goes, you've been disconnected from your sin. Your sin will never identify you. You, you cannot, can I just say this? You cannot live free any other way. You will never be free from sin any other way than the, the gospel of His grace, than the message of true repentance. Amen? You see, godly sorrow leads us to repent based on the finished work of the cross. I actually have somewhere to go in my repentance. Are you hearing me? Sometimes we're teaching people to repent, and our wording is just repent of your sin. And so they turn away from their sin, but they're not sure if they're allowed to go to Him yet. And so what they're left is in the tension of legalism. Because it's like, I, I need to turn away from this. I must turn away from this. I'm focusing on how much I need to turn away from my sin. But I have nowhere else to give my attention to because I'm not sure if I feel worthy yet. And so what happens? I perpetuate a cycle of returning to the same thing. And all that happens is the next time I feel worse than I did the first time. And that just perpetuates the same cycle until guilt, shame, and condemnation start to try and attach themselves to your identity. And shame starts to say, this is who I am. 
I'm disqualified. I can't. I'm not going to make it. And then the church, I'm not even going to say the church, what sometimes they call themselves the church, design services around that moment because it creates goosebumps and makes people feel like, wow, something's actually happening. And so we're moved by the tears of broken people instead of rejoicing that the grace of God has set them free. What we need to be doing is, is calling and inviting people to victory. It's, and and the, the hearts and intentions of people who are doing this is, is sincere. Don't get me wrong. We just have misunderstanding. We have to see from the perspective of Jesus. If the gospel does not bring a, a sense of good news, joy, and victory to your life, what are we preaching? If, if at the end of my preach, if what you feel is conviction that makes you want to weep in regret, I have failed. Because there is not a single person who walked away from Jesus with regret. Not one. Are you hearing me? Oh, see, it, uh, it solidifies godly sorrow and repentance solidifies our innocence based on the cross. It takes the emphasis off of you and puts it back on Jesus. Worldly sorrow starts with you, is maintained and managed by you, and ends with you being more aware of you. You hear me? Think about that. That's what regret, regret produces in you. If I can say it like this, regret leads you into self-consciousness. Regret just makes you more aware of how inadequate you actually are. Can I ask this question? Who slash what leads us to repent? We do not go looking for what to repent of. <laughs> Let me say it this way. As if you know. If it's your job, <laughs> I'm being cheeky, sorry. <laughs> I'm like letting that awkward silence hang like. But the reality is, as if we know. Oh, it's easy for me to repent of that one because that one's just clear as day. I just, I'm, you know, that's one of the ten commandments. I just broke that one. Or it's like that one's simple. But, but I don't, I'm not aware of my need to repent of that little thing that I didn't even know. For example, uh, Scripture says that uh, what's not of faith is sin. So on the day that I don't have faith, or I wasn't feeling like I had actually faith and confidence in God, I didn't repent of that one. I didn't feel the need to repent of that. So whose job is it to lead you in repentance? It can't be yours, because then we would fail. Amen? That should be liberating to your soul. Because otherwise, it's like you've got to do this, you know, you've got to keep track of what's happening in your life and make sure that you're repenting and going on this journey. You can't. So who leads us in repentance? Well, it has to be the Holy Spirit. So we yield to the Holy Spirit, the Holy One. The only one who's holy, the Spirit of Jesus, who because of what Christ has done, when we're in Him, we are holy too. So we yield to Him to search us and lead us into greater alignment and awareness of Christ in us. That's what repentance is. Yielding to the Holy Spirit to search me and lead me into greater awareness and alignment of who Jesus is in my life. That's what the gospel should do, by the way. <laughs> See, here's the thing. If that's what repentance is, He searches us, He leads us into greater alignment and awareness of Jesus, then we can run to His face. Right? Are you getting it? See, it's sinking. It's like, because that's what should happen. It's like, oh, 
It's so freeing. You go, so when, there's, when the Holy Spirit is leading me and correcting me in a sense of bringing me back to my identity in Jesus, the response of a repentant heart is to run to His face because I know I can. I, that's, that's where repentant people go. Again and again and again. Are you seeing how it starts to keep us occupied by His face? Repentance is the lifestyle of abiding. Repentance is the... I don't know if I can. Um, <laughs> repentance is the lifestyle of abiding. It's a gift to receive, not a work to accomplish. Otherwise, we're just putting ourselves right back under the law. In the Old Covenant, under the law, repentance required our awareness of our sin, because of the law, to take the necessary measures to atone for that sin, which only led us to temporary relief from the guilt and sorrow of our inadequacy. When we live under the law, we're never fully free. We get temporary relief because we do something that makes us feel better about ourselves. We feel like somehow I've proved to God that I'm going to try harder this time. We get temporary relief, but we find ourselves in the same cycle of brokenness and sin. But in the new covenant, the gift of repentance frees us from ourselves because we have died with Christ and we live anew in Him. And Romans 6 says newness of life every day. That's what we walk in. So if you, didn't, if you felt like, well, th today I, I didn't seem to just, I didn't believe it and I wasn't living in that, and then you, you find yourself in that place of being under the law, well, tomorrow wake up and understand you're new. Do you know what repentance does, true repentance? When we repent, I'm not the same person as I was five seconds ago. Hello? Isn't that profound? That's what the power of the blood of Jesus does. Now, if you think about this, the power of repentance, as I'm sharing it now, changes your heart individually and, and empowers your walk with Jesus. But can you imagine when we treat each other this way? I'm, not, I'm, I'm like, Jesus, help me. I know I'm not there yet in my own heart and emotions, and I still get upset, and I have opinions, and I'm like, God, just deal with me. But imagine a church that can do that. We were so wrapped up in Him that when true repentance takes place in the house, you're not disqualified. If God doesn't disqualify you, who are we to? Now, obviously, there's wisdom and there's the outworking of things, you know, rightly in the house of God. But my point is, people should be able to come to a home where they feel free because they're not disqualified. They're loved into truth. So the cross is where we, where we return to and where we start every time. Every time. The cross is why we can return to beholding His face. Because we become what we choose to behold. So behold His face. I want to give you just a few, um, I'm going to call them nuggets. John 6, 44 says, No one comes to God unless He draws them. So repentance cannot start with sin. It must start with God. It starts with the fact that He is inviting you. If He's inviting you, don't you think He wants you in front of Him? It changes the posture of repentance. See, can you imagine now the crusade one day where we preach like this and we go, the invitation is, yes, there's conviction of your need for Jesus, but he's actually going, come to me. I love you. And when you get here, guess what? We're not going to talk about that stuff. I died for that. I want to show you who you are. 
Can you imagine the crowds running to that good news? It might be tears, but there'll be smiles. There will be laughing. There will be joy. There will be jumping. This is why people sprint to the front. Because it's like, I need to get there because that's where he is. And where he is, is life. And I'm new there. Can you see why you've got to preach the gospel to yourself every day? Maybe you've got to have that altar in your house somewhere where you run to. You preach the gospel till your heart starts to come alive and then you sprint and get on your face before Him. Amen? Repentance is not merely an apology. Oof, okay. I don't know about you, but I've been in cycles of sin and brokenness and, and I feel like my heart is so sincere because I really didn't you know, want to do those things. And then so you're, you feel like all I'm doing is I'm just apologizing because I really am so sorry. But I'm, just, I'm just sorry all the time. Right? Repentance is not just an apology, although an apology is always a beautiful and good thing. But repentance is alignment. You can say sorry to God and not be repentant. This goes the same for all of us, even in, in relationships with one another. We can say sorry to one another because there's regret in our hearts for what we did and yet not be repentant and not come into alignment. But this is the beautiful thing. Repentance is to allow the finished work of the cross to redefine that moment. I need you to hear this. Repentance is allowing the finished work of what Jesus has done to redefine that moment that's causing you to, to come to that place with Him. Does that make sense? Where you feel conviction, let repentance be what makes you aware of Him. It's like, it's like a holy reset button. It's the most beautiful thing. And this is what keeps us coming back to His face. Repentance returns you to identity. Sorry, repentance returns you to your identity in Christ with no regrets. That's so beautiful to me. Repentance puts you back in your identity as a son in Jesus without regret of the past, whether it was five seconds ago or 50 years ago. There's no regret. If there's regret, you're not free. Your heart's not free because regret has strings attached to it. See, I spoke about shame being the thing that tries to hinder because it makes sin personal to you. And I want to say this. Shame is self-obsession. That's harsh. I know. <laughs> it's brutal. <laughs> yo, yo, yo. <laughs> but, but hear me. Like, I know that that's, it sounds harsh, but just hear me. Shame is self-obsession. We think that by thinking little of ourselves, we're choosing humility. Yet all we are thinking of is ourselves. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So I shame is self-obsession. I'm ashamed of what I've done, so I must think little of myself, make nothing of myself. And then in doing that, I feel like I'm choosing the right thing to do by, you know, that low place. Now, there is a low place. It's just not this one. Yeah. Humility is real. We'll talk about that. But sometimes we call this humility, but actually the only thing I'm looking at is myself. I'm, I'm obsessed with my state of failure. It's self-obsession, even in its most sincere form. Do you hear me? It's sincere. Uh, shame is not something that we 
choose to play with. Like people, people don't like shame. Nobody likes to live in shame. But we've been trained by a lie for so long under the religious mentality. And we don't realize that what the Lord does is puts the emphasis back on you. And so a legalistic mindset causes you to live under shame, which makes you self-aware rather than aware of Christ. I'm nearly done, I promise. Jesus frees us from self-awareness. Oh my word, this is a message for our generation right now. What we need to be is just more aware of ourselves and that's how we're going to experience mental health. No, that's why you're broken. You are so aware of your brokenness that you don't realize you need a savior. You can't fix it. I've been there. People get upset with me when I talk about this stuff and I'm going, it's, I know, I, I, it's a hor- I was so offended on the other side of this thing. But when you get free and Jesus sets you free, you realize there's only one way out of our own brokenness. It's to actually die to ourselves and to be alive in Jesus. Amen. He sets us free from self-awareness so that we can get transfixed and occupied by His face. Do you see why we want to live this year occupied by the face of God? Because I'm just transfixed. I'm, I'm, I'm beholding Him. I'm, repentance is keeping me in this place of seeing Jesus. And the more I see Jesus, the less I'm aware of myself. And the byproduct of that is that what I'm looking at, I'm becoming. The lie of the Christian life is that we are on a journey of becoming so much like Jesus that we don't need Him anymore. (laughs) Repentance is your confession and revelation of your complete dependence upon Jesus. That's what beholding does. It keeps me dependent on what He has done. And through the Holy Spirit, that's what I'm becoming. I'm walking in His power. I'm not walking in my own strength. Oh, this is is good. Repentance is not committing to God that you're going to try harder. Let's stop that one. Amen. Lord, this time I mean it. I am not going back to that. I'm sick of this thing. I mean it this time. And... You know, very soon after you're back there. And all you do is feel worse. And shame is just getting louder and louder and louder. Let's stop trying harder. And let's actually lean on Him. Receive from Him. Repentance is the surrender of your will, not the white knuckle of your will. You hear me? It's the surrender of your will, not the try harder of your will. It positions you in a posture to receive from the Holy Spirit the full nature of Jesus Christ. See, we are made to be blissfully unaware of ourselves and fully occupied by Him. I have this prayer that I've been praying recently, and I didn't actually, when I wrote it in my journal, I didn't realize what I was saying. And as I'm looking back, I'm going, wow, God, that's really my prayer. I prayed this. I said, God, I want to get so wrapped up in you that I don't even recognize myself anymore. I want to get so lost and, 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 and filled and consumed and occupied by the face of God that I, 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 can't, even, I can't even go like, that's Connor and that's Jesus. It's just, it's just Him. If I can word it like this, I recognize no other but Christ. And can I just say this? That's a choice. That's not a, a switch that you're going to flip in your head. That's a choice every day. Lord, I recognize no other but Christ. I choose to put my attention on you. I choose to no longer look at my inadequacy because in you, there is adequacy. It's through the Holy Spirit. I'm in you. Amen. So it's a grace gift and it's yours. It's an avenue of grace. It's not a work to do. It's a gift to receive. 
It always produces life. You do not earn repentance. You receive it. And so this year, as 24-7, we have an opportunity to model something as a church. And this is our prayer. Our prayer is, okay, Jesus, it's your house. You're the leader of this house. Your voice governs, rules, and reigns. And we have, I want you to know, we have godly and biblical leadership structure. We have elders. We have a core team which function like deacons. Uh, we have all those things. And there is honor and authority in the house. And we do not shy away from that. But I'll tell you one thing. We have to be holding on to the voice of Jesus because if we don't have his voice, we can get lost in the flesh. And our heart is, God, we do not want to become fleshly about anything in your house. We don't want to move the furniture of humanity into a house that's actually divine. Because to say we're only human is to say what? We're only sensual and demonic. That's what the scripture says. So we're not looking for human vulnerability. Yes, we're looking for transparency and honesty. But we're looking for Christ in us, the hope of glory. We're looking for the perfect leadership of Jesus in our lives. Jeez, I'm, getting, I'm preaching to myself now. All right. Did you see the little strut? I started to get a little... Yeah, I was feeling that. That was stirring in my heart. Because <laughs> this is what... The, the gospel does this to you, right? And I'm, I'm with you here. I'm preaching to myself. I'm going, Jesus, I've got to preach this to myself every day. Because it, it does. You kind of puff your chest out a little more. There's a little bit of zeal and confidence and boldness where you're like, man, it's not, it's not. People can say what they want about my inadequacy. I know. That's what sets me free. It's like, you can't do that because you're this. I'm like, I know, but he's in me. And he does that. So I get to just be the, the living gateways where the king of glory comes in. So can you imagine if we catch this and we live this, this lifestyle every day? We're positioned to be occupied by His face, which means we become a people of presence, which means we see the transforming power of God in everything we do. How are we going to see situations, circumstances transformed? How are we going to see our business spheres of influence transformed? How will we see our city changed? How will we see nations touched with the gospel? It's His presence. Because like I said to you earlier, I can, I've been there. You can do the work and even have the message on your lips, yet there's no anointing because He's not there. Hello. I'm fully given to the dream of God. I'm fully given to the Great Commission. I'm burning to see every tribe, tongue, and nation know who Jesus is. But what sustains me is a lifestyle of repentance that brings me before His face every day so that I know who I am. I can live in that. And I can now apprehend it. I can apply it. And I can work it out in my life because of His grace. Amen? Amen. Not too shabby. Three minutes to 11. <laughs> That's a good start to the year, let me tell you. <laughs> hey, can I take this opportunity then just to smash that one? Is that okay? I reckon um, the, more, the closer we get to the return of Jesus, the longer our times together will be. I'm just saying that, just as a faith declaration. And I, I think we need to just be okay with that. I'm okay if you need to leave sometimes, if you have to get, get up and go. It's not offensive. But I, the reality is if we're going to design a community around the presence of Jesus, it's not for you, it's for Him. So, so, so even this, it's beautiful. It's like I, I'm sharing this with you because it's beneficial to you, but I'm actually preaching to myself too. And I'm doing it for Him because He's the one that's worthy. And the byproduct of doing it for him is that he really blesses his people and equips us and ministers to us and trains us. He's in love with his bride and he's going to have a bride for his glory. And so you'll see, we'll be sharing more um, and putting it up, but we, we have these three sentences. We want to be a bride for his glory. We want to be a, a body for his name. And we want to be a people of his presence everywhere that we go. 
We want to host him. We want to carry him. And so I'm excited because I I just think we're positioned this year as a church to enter into the reality of the gospel expressed in our lives. And we don't want to play church. We don't want to, our goal is not to fill rooms. That's the byproduct. Jesus fills rooms. Uh, We want to see people filled with God. We want to see people filled with the gospel. We want to see families transformed by the message of his grace. We want to see nations transformed because of his goodness. Amen. That's what we're saying yes to as a family, the face of God upon us, in us, and through us so that others would know who he is too. Will you stand with me this morning?